Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Jesus, along with Peter and the disciples and the saints through the ages, we confess you are the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the anointed one, the one who has come to redeem your people. And we are so thankful. We are so thankful to be under your lordship and under your leadership. And we pray that as we turn now to your word that you would speak your truth into our hearts and into our minds by your Holy Spirit who is in this place. We pray that you would transform us, that you would renew us, that you would help all of us to take our next step of trusting and following Jesus. And so, Lord, now, through your word, transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we might be more like Jesus when we leave this place. It's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. So a question that has always gripped me that I've asked a lot of groups over the years, and it occurred to me that in all my time here, I don't think I've asked us collectively as a group, is this. What would you do if the risen Jesus walked into the room right now? Now, we know Jesus is here through his Holy Spirit. We know the Spirit of God is here. We are in the presence of Almighty God, but we cannot see him. We cannot see Christ. I'm talking about what if, what if the resurrected Jesus in his resurrected body, flesh and bones, the scars bearing the trophy of the redemption he earned for us, what if he walked into the room right now? What would you do? How would you respond? You know, I think some of us are kind of thinking about the questions we'd like to ask. Because the truth is that there are things that none of us understand. There are things about each of our individual lives that we don't quite understand. And so it could be that you're thinking, well, if Jesus walked in, that would be my opportunity to to say, "Eh, there's some things I don't understand, things I don't get. Could Could you bring some clarification there? I think for others of us, there's the reality that if Jesus were to walk in this room, we wouldn't be able to fool him. And we can fool everybody else. We can put on a facade and put on a church face. And when they ask how we're doing, we say, fine, we can fool them. (laughs) But we can't fool him. So there could be some sense of, of the exposure that you would have before the one who knows the number of hairs on your head, the number of cells in your body, exactly what's going on without any diagnostic imaging whatsoever. But also, as the Bible says, some exposure before the one who knows every word that's going to come out of your mouth before it ever reaches your tongue. So there might be some sense of, whoa, I've never felt this known before by somebody that's standing here in front of me. Or it could be that you're thinking about the amazing love of Jesus that you would be experiencing in that moment. Because if God is love and Jesus is the expression of Almighty God in flesh, if He is God in flesh to dwell among us, then what you would be standing before is the perfect personification of love that is deeper than anything we can contrive here on this planet. And so it could be that you're thinking that if Jesus were in the room in flesh and bones, that I would feel more loved than I've ever felt in my entire life by another human being. And let me tell you something. I think all those things are true. And what I do believe is that, that it would be the most overwhelming experience that any of us had ever had. 
I think that we would come to understand Jesus in a way that maybe we've never understood Jesus before, that we would come to understand the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a way that we have never understood God before. I think that it would be clarifying, recognizing that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, that, that everything we've ever studied in God's Word, everything we've ever read would, would make more sense to us than it ever had before. Sure, we'd still be limited. Sure, we'd still struggle. We are finite beings trying to wrap our minds around an infinite God, and we can't do that. But, but I think there would be some clarity that would be given. And I'll tell you the other thing that, that has always gripped me, and that is this, that if Jesus were to walk into this room with flesh and bones, and he were to ask us to do anything, literally anything at all, I think we'd do it. I think we would understand that the one we're looking upon by sight is the one that we have looked upon by faith. And, and when he asked us to do something, even if it seemed ludicrous, I think we would do it because we would understand that this is God who is not bound by the laws of physics or space and time. This is Almighty God, and he's asking us to do something, and, and I think we would obey. And I think we would obey unquestioningly. I think it would just, yeah, okay, yes, whatever you say, I'm in. Well, so here's the question for all of us that, that is the question with which I wrestle personally. You know, if that would be my experience of the risen Jesus, if he were to walk in this room, and that would be my response to the risen Jesus if he were to walk into this room, why isn't that more of my response to him now because he's walked into my life? Because in this room, there would still be some distance, some separation. The separation that's between two flesh and blood human beings, but, but spiritually, what has Jesus done for all of us who have repented of our sin and received Jesus Christ, just as Abby has? If he's come into us, if his light shines forth from us, through us, then why is it, Jeff, that your life doesn't more mimic what you feel like your life might mimic if he were to walk in here with flesh and bones? You know, today we're going to see the disciples have that exact experience. The last time we were with the disciples, last Sunday, together as a group, we saw that Cleopas and his traveling companion to Emmaus had encountered Jesus. They had encountered the risen Christ, but God had kept their eyes from recognizing him. But Jesus gave to them the most brilliant Bible study in the history of the world as he opened the scriptures to them and explained to them all the things that must happen for the Christ, to the Christ to the glory of God. No doubt he explained the more than 300 messianic prophecies that were fulfilled perfectly in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And then when they sat down around the table and he broke the bread before them, God allowed their eyes to be open and to see and understand this is Jesus. And then what happened? He disappeared from their sight. And what did they do? They got up and they went back to Jerusalem. They had journeyed seven miles to Emmaus, I bet they journeyed back to Jerusalem seven miles a lot more quickly. And they went back to the disciples. They went to church. That was the church where the, the people of God were. That's where they went. And so they went to the church and they learned some things. They learned that, that, that not only had they had an encounter with the risen Christ, but so had Simon had an encounter with the risen Christ. So had the women had an encounter with the risen Christ. God was moving in a mighty way in people's lives. And, and it wasn't just their lives, but it was their lives. And so they went back to the community to say, listen to what God did. Well, Jesus is going to show up in all of their presence. He's literally going to appear in the room in flesh and blood. Let's see what happens. I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. 
We're going to look at verses 36 through 53. If you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 885. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 53. Pew Bible, page 885. Dr. Luke writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, and I want to tell you this is our theme for today. Jesus enlightened his disciples, and Jesus enlightens me. Jesus enlightened his disciples, and Jesus enlightens me. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why, why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Our first point today is this. Jesus enlightens us about his reality. Jesus enlightens us about his reality. Jesus wanted his disciples to know, to see, to believe, and we would see with Thomas, to even touch that he was physically resurrected from the dead. Jesus did not emerge from the grave as a ghost. Jesus physically, with flesh and bones, walked out of the grave. And he lives. And he was there illustrating to them that he was there in flesh and bones. It's vitally important that they believed that he had risen physically from the dead. And it's vitally important that we believe that he is physically resurrected from the dead. You know, LifeWay Research just published the results of a survey they did called the State of Theology. And within the State of Theology, one of the things they found is that 66% of Americans believe that the, the gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection from the grave really happened. They believe those gospel accounts of Jesus being raised physically from the dead are literally and completely true. Two-thirds of Americans believe that. I, I, it's hard to find two-thirds of Americans that believe anything these days. But that's what they found. But here was the, here was the kicker. The two-thirds of Americans who said they believed that also said they weren't real sure what that meant, uh, why that mattered. So yeah, they believe Jesus rose from the grave, but they have no idea why that matters to them. And why that matters individually to each of us personally? Well, it matters significantly because the Bible says, and this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, and then verses 17 through 19. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So, in other words, Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, if Jesus hasn't physically resurrected from the dead, then your faith means nothing. 
And I'll, I'll tell you, there are whole denominations that would deny that Jesus physically resurrected from the dead. And I don't know why they do what they do. I don't know why they get up and go to church. I mean, they're a glorified civic organization. They're to do some good in the community. And I believe in doing good in the community. I've been a part of civic organizations, and our church does a whole lot of good in the community. One example is what we've already talked about is by partnering with Hope House to meet people at the point of their physical need. But if we miss meeting people at their point of greater need, which is spiritual need, for they are dead in sin and trespasses and separated from Almighty God. If we miss telling them the story that Jesus died on an old rugged cross to pay in full the price for their sin and rose again from the grave the third day, physically, bodily, resurrected from the grave, then we've missed the most important thing. You can go to hell with a belly full of food. And so we exist for more than providing bellies full of food. But along the way, we want to provide bellies full of food. If Jesus isn't raised, there's no point in being Christian. If it's only for this life that we have hope, great. Go play golf. Go to the lake. See if you can catch some fish. Because if it is for this life only that we have hope, then it doesn't matter. What Paul is saying is that if Jesus is not raised, then we are hopeless, we are helpless, and we should eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But what if he is raised? Well, Paul answers our question. Again, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the verses 20 through 24. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And so what does that mean? That if Christ is raised from the dead, if Christ literally, physically arose from the grave, and clearly this is important to Jesus, because as he walked into this room with his disciples, he's saying, look, I have flesh and bones. By the way, do you have anything to eat? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish. I hope it was fresh because old broiled fish, anyway. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and what did he do? He ate it. I love the fact that Dr. Luke, the physician gospel writer, is the one who tells us that his bodily functions still functioned. He ate fish right there in front of them. And if you've ever watched Casper the Friendly Ghost, you know that movie that came out in the 90s? You know that a ghost chews it up and it just falls on the floor. Well, that's not what happened here. Why? Because it was vitally important to Jesus that his disciples understood and that we today understand he arose from the grave with a body. And you know what the Bible says? Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. That just as Christ has been raised, then so also shall all of us who are in Christ be raised. And how will we be raised? We will be raised from the grave with a physical resurrection body. The Bible says the mortal must put on immortality. That which is perishable must become imperishable. And so we've talked about many times that at the moment, 
then we'll use me as an example. At the moment I die, because I'm in Christ, and only because I'm in Christ, not for any good that I've done, no merit of my own, but at the moment that I die, my body will cease to function, and my spirit will go immediately to be with the Lord. But then, when the Lord returns, He will bring my spirit with Him. He will raise my body from the grave, and that which was mortal and perishable will become immortal and imperishable. And so we think about that casting crown song. The only scars in heaven will be on the one who has defeated death, for they are the markers illustrating his victory for all eternity. The rest of us, we won't have any scars, for we will be complete. We will be whole. We will be well. And nothing can ever, ever, hurt us again. That's good news. If Christ has not been raised, you shouldn't be here today. Go do something else. But if Christ has been raised, that changes everything. Somebody asks, well, do you have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus to be a Christian? Only if you believe the Bible. And so the answer is absolutely you do. So if you're struggling with the resurrection, I would ask God for clarity on that. I believe he can give it, just as he's given it to me and just as he's given it to countless saints down through the ages. All right, let's look now at verse 44 through 47. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Our second point, Jesus enlightens us about his word. Jesus enlightens us about his word. He is here helping his disciples understand that the Word of God, beginning in Genesis chapter 1, all the way through the end of Malachi in the Old Testament, all bears witness to Him. Again, more than 300 Messianic prophecies all fulfilled in this singular individual. The, The odds are incredible that that would happen, but they happened. Why? Because God's not worried about odds. God is God. But what we proclaim today is that not only the Old Testament, but also the New Testament, such that Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Revelation 22 is the Word of Christ. It all points to Jesus, for He was there in the beginning, and He is the one through whom and for for whom all things were made, and He is the Alpha and the Omega, so He's there at the end. He is the one who in Revelation 22 will return, bringing His recompense with Him. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, and in Him there is no end. And so He opens to us the truth of God's Word, that by the Spirit of Almighty God, whom He has sent for us to reveal to us all things, we can understand His Word, we can believe His Word, and we can be transformed by His Word through the working of His Holy Spirit. What a joy! So there in this room, what you have is the eternal Word of God opening to the disciples the written Word of God. The author of Hebrews puts it like this. 
This is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So what does the author of Hebrews tell us? That the Word made flesh is testified to by the Word in print. Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22. My Bible has red letters. And I've heard people say, well, we need to focus on the red letters. Well, if you want to know the truth, all the black ones and the red ones are His words too. For He is Almighty God. And so in the Word of God, we have the testimony to Christ, the testimony of Christ. And by the power of Jesus' Holy Spirit, we're able to understand. So what do we do about that? Verse 48. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Our third and final point today is this. Jesus enlightens us about our mission. Jesus enlightens us about our mission. So he's enlightened us about his reality. He's enlightened us about God's truth. And now he enlightens us about our mission. What is he doing with these disciples? Well, he's getting ready to send them out. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they will be the ones, they who scattered when their shepherd was struck. They who trembled before the religious leaders. They who trembled before Rome. They who hid themselves because they were so scared. They will be the ones filled with the Holy Spirit and boldly declaring the truth of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And just like they were called to that, so also are we called to that. Jesus told them, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that they would be his witnesses. That word in the Greek is martyron. That's where we get our English word martyr. For they, by the way they would live their lives, would bear witness to the reality of the risen Savior. They, by the words that would come from their lips, would bear witness about the reality of the risen Savior. They, even by the way that they died, would bear witness about the reality of the risen Savior. I don't know if you've seen it on Facebook floating around, but it keeps popping up on my feed, all the ways the apostles died. And to me, it's, it's, it's the craziest thing that people would believe they made the story up and then died for it. You know, many apologists have said, who would die for a lie? And others have taken it a step further. Who would die for a lie that they knew to be a lie? So if they were making all this up, why in the world would they give their life? Peter was crucified upside down, according to church tradition. 
because he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord. He didn't feel like he was worthy. And they were beheaded. They were burned at the stake. They, they were exiled. They were killed. Why? Because they so profoundly and powerfully believed in the reality of their risen Savior that it changed their entire existence. So they had been in the upper room with Jesus when he had said before his crucifixion, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come back to get you, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas speaks up. He says, well, we, don't, we, don't know, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And here, when Jesus comes with flesh and blood risen from the dead before his disciples, he's proving to them that everything he had told them was true, and they could have unshakable hope that every word he had spoken would come to pass, and it still will for all who trust and follow him. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.